Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my incredibly busy but super talented <laughs> friend, Ben Bumhopper. Oh, well, thank you, you very doing, much. I, I, I don't think I'm talented, but, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what I think, uh, but I am. It, it is true. What I I, I appreciate that, but it is true. I'm very busy right now, which I didn't think was going to be happening at this time of year, but whatever. Um, no, I'm doing actually pretty good. How are you doing? I am. I am doing well. I, um, I'm starting to get a little bit stir crazy mm-hmm. in the house, uh, but had a, had a quarantine birthday yesterday. So, yeah. so that was, that was fun. Quarantine birthdays uh, are, are, are great. I had one earlier in the month too. And Gosh, there's not a lot to do, is there? <laughs> no, I uh, I ordered in uh, from one of my favorite restaurants. Uh, me and the wife sat down and watched a TV show, and then I played some WoW and worked on some D and D maps for my campaign on Incarnate. Oh, all right, F- show favorite. Honestly, I like it. Cool, cool. I like it a lot. It's uh, it's been good. I started with the like the world overview map. Got mm-hmm. all my continents and stuff laid out, fully detailed the two that are actually relevant right now. Good and call. then I'm starting to do like, I'm going to do continent ones where I do like the zoomed in version of each continent. And then the major city on the continent, I'm going to do a regional map. For it. Very cool. That should I, be fun. I need to create a city uh, pretty soon here. Ooh, city city play yes is so much fun in <laughs> fact that sounds like a really good segment topic to do sometime soon yeah i think so i mean just just building a city alone there's a lot that has to go into that you know logistically i mean well, we're not getting to the topic now, so we'll talk about it at some other point. <laughs> yes. That, no, and that's that's why that's why it would be fun to talk about. It is from a prepping perspective, if you're if you're like me, I usually prep a few hours between two to four week sessions, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, if that much, uh, I'm a, I'm a big improv type guy myself. So I, I like to give, you know, the, I like to give myself building blocks to then just expound upon as, as they pop up. Exactly. But with cities, you have to put a little more effort into it. And so I think, I think that would be a good topic to, yeah, I think so. I mean, just the, the, the simple question of, Hey, how do they get rid of their sewage? Which I've totally answered. (laughs) <laughs> I won't make up on the spot if if I'm asked. Exactly. But then you got to know, oh, well, are there underground tunnels? Are they part of the sewer system if there is one? You know, it's like there's there's a lot of levels. What kind involved. of were rats lurk down there? <laughs> exactly. Or were gators, maybe. Because we're in old York. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Uh so as much as my brain has shifted gears to to cities right now my bad sorry about that (laughs) yep yep totally blaming you we're gonna we're gonna shift back a little bit to one of both of our favorite topics Mm -hmm. uh we're gonna continue our dragon series tonight and talk about silver dragons for a little bit yes so playing silver dragons and just kind of all about silver dragons so Ben, I know you recently ran one in your campaign. So why don't you kind of kind of kick us off? I did. And I got to say, it was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. Um, so in my campaign, the the party ran into a conflict that was happening. They ran into a silver dragon uh, in, in her halfling form from the town that's close by. She's known as Oda. But in the dragon form and everything she is odandrin the lady of ice and I dragons got, you always they always gotta have fancy names. oh of course i mean always gotta have fancy y- you really need to start off with a fancy name and then from there you can kind of get more of the personality if you want but uh you know i i really wanted it to be because i'm i'm a huge dragon fan and 
I know we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, but that doesn't mean that you need to go through and just kill every dragon that you see. You know, we've talked about this before, the difference between the metallic and the chromatic dragons. And in fact, Silver Dragon was going to be one of the first ones we talked about, but I had this plan for my campaign and I know some of my players listen. So it's like, okay, I can't introduce this yet. Just wait a little bit. And it's been, well, let's see, we, we just got the, uh, the, uh, one year anniversary for our Twitter account. So it's been a little while since, uh, we talked about it doing has. this. It has. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so the, the big thing about silver dragons is that, you know, like all metallic dragons, they are generally good dragons, you know, good people. And when I wanted to bring one in, I'm like, okay, let's see what of the metallics can I look at that would, you know, really want to, you know, hang out around a town and like really help out, you know, a, a group of people and everything. And silver dragons just totally fit exactly what I was looking for and exactly what I was thinking about when I'm like, Hey, I want to have a dragon that, you know, lives in a town half the time and also helps people out a whole bunch because yeah. silver dragons love humanoids. Yep. They love humanoids and humans in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of, uh, I, I think, all metallics have a little bit of a, a fascination with humanoids and non non dragon stuff, but silvers are especially unique in that aspect because uh, from a lore perspective, they like to spend just as much or more time in humanoid forms than in their dragon form. Exactly. And it gives them a chance to kind of be around humans or humanoids in general, you know, kind of study them, understand them and just make really close bonds and friendships with them, which is something that uh, I've always found like really interesting when it comes to them. You know, who'd have thought if, you know, your best friend turned out to just randomly be a dragon because you were a cool, nice, good person and, you know, talk to them one day or something. That'd be cool. Oh, definitely. And because they spend so much or a lot of their time in a, a humanoid form and everything, you can insert them into your gameplay however you want. They could be like, you know, the the wide, uh, wise sage who, you know, lives in town, who has knowledge about years past, depending on, you know, if you want to make it a, a, an elder dragon or, you know, a, an adult dragon, they're hundreds of years old. So they're going to know a lot of stuff that's been going on. They're a good source of information. They're also just a great source of, you know, just friendliness, something that can, you know, your characters could just kind of run into, you know, they're there, they're experiencing life through the eyes of these lesser races and stuff. And it, they've always just been, like I said, just really interesting to me. Yeah. And is one of the things we, we do for the topics, especially when we t- pick uh, like tonight, we're doing silver dragons and tieflings. So I usually like to jump in and do do a little extra research into like lore and stuff. And uh, one of the interesting things that I found is uh, silver dragons would most likely be to, would be most likely to be a member of an adventuring party. Mm hmm. Exactly. Just, just in a humanoid form, which is which is really interesting. Um, it uh, even the the monster manual itself says uh, they befriend humanoids of all races, but they like the shorter lived races such as humans uh, because they spark their curiosity in a way longer lived elves and dwarves don't. They have humans have a drive and zest for life that silver dragons find fascinating. When you only live seventy or eighty years versus dragon time which is measured in thousands <laughs> exactly <of years. laughs> it's a completely different perspective on life and what all you're getting done because if you live thousands of years chances are you're not going to be in a huge hurry to do most stuff yeah i've always but, felt that uh, elves and dwarves and so they just procrastinate yeah and i mean it's 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 kind of shown too in that like they usually mature at different ages and such mm-hmm. just because they don't have to. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a lifestyle, but with humans, you got the 70, 80, 90 years or whatever. Uh, it, it really piques these silver dragons interest. And so uh, they like to get involved in their lives. Um, and that's why uh, in a lot of the lore, it says they just, live in their humanoid forms a lot and mm-hmm. mainly just return to dragon forms 
if they mate, rear offspring, tend to their horde, you know, fight a traumatic <laughs> dragon or something <laughs> like that. Um, but one of the, the funny things, and it's even mentioned in the monster manual, because many lose track of time while away, they sometimes return to find that their companions have grown old or died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, they often end up befriending several generations of humanoids within a single family as a result. I, I just that's just so funny. It's just, oh gosh, look at the time. It's <laughs> been 70 years. Well, let's go back and see how Ted's do. Oh. Oh. Uh, well, hello, Wilhelmina, Ted's daughter. Yep. Or granddaughter. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's it's that sort of like attachment to life that I find so interesting because it's not like they're viewing, you know, humanoids and everything as like pets. They they actually I mean, no dragon's gonna see a human as equal, but they have like such a respect and, and admiration for them that you don't get that in a lot of, you know, like higher level beings and stuff. And in yeah, fact, man. it, it uh, translates even more so into like the kinds of hordes and treasures that silver dragons like to collect, too, um, mm-hmm. because of their interest in, in humans and humanoids and everything like that. They might have, sure, you know, gold coins and everything, but it's from like this old ancient race or empire or something that's fallen, you know, years and hundreds of years ago um, in the monster manual. It, it talks about uh, different things like, you know, um art you know fine jewelry that's crafted by different races and stuff um it even says they might even have an intact ship or like the remains of kings and queens and i mean if you really think about this this is like uh you know some sort of great creature who's essentially making a museum and having that sort of knowledge and and history as the treasure as opposed to you know just pure value of everything they're looking at it you know in an entirely different way than like say a red dragon would yeah and even from a a dm or a story perspective you could easily uh if a dragon had been hanging around, say, a certain family in your campaign or a, a certain, you know, nobility or whatever for a long time, part of their horde could potentially include relics of that family. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I got that from Frederick III 500 years ago, gave it to me as a gift, and I've kept it around since then, and I'd show it off to his great, 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 great grandchildren sometimes, <laughs> and it's a great story and whatnot. And there's just there's just a lot of uh, really interesting ways you can play them. And as a DM from a campaign perspective, a silver dragon out of all the the metallic dragons is probably the most likely, just from a, a lore and story standpoint, to interact with a party of adventurers mm-hmm. and help them or give them advice or point them in the right direction. Yeah, and a, a big part of that too is that um, as you know, opposed to the, the golden dragons or the bronze dragons, the silver dragons don't really go out and like, you know, hunt for evil. They don't look for wrongdoing and everything, but they're still going to support those that are doing good. You know, they're, they're still, you know, not super benevolent, like, Oh, you're an evildoer. I strike you down. They're just like, Hey, you're good. Cool. Let's lift you up. Let's help you out. Let's do something. You know, they, they, will go against things that are actually harming people or, or other individuals and everything, but it's not like their main thing. They're not as like super duper moral. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not the, the not gold dragon. Yeah. I must. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they are moral in the sense that, you know, they, they do side with good and, and everything like that. That was a poor choice of words on my part, but um, yeah, it, it's just, it's kind of cool to have a not super duper like strict, higher being to be able to kind of interact with your players so from a from a campaign perspective where where might one find a silver dragon well there there's some really cool stuff and this is this is actually one of my favorite types of dragons just from a layer lodging perspective uh silver dragons are big on clouds Mm mm-hmm which is super interesting, and in fact, one of the one of the coolest things about them is they can essentially sculpt 
clouds. Um, uh, one of the regional effects that a silver dragon has is given days or longer to work, the dragon can make clouds and fog within its layer as solid as stone, forming structures and other objects as it wishes. So this can actually lead to some incredibly cool stuff from a layer perspective, either something your party stumbles upon or something that a uh, ally dra silver dragon could, could bring the party to. It's just a much more fantastical type of location. Um, and there's, there's a lot of really interesting things that you could do with it story-wise that might not be nor just normal in the rest of the world. Yeah, like most campaigns, your your people just aren't flying mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, most of the the campaigns outside of Eberron, the the technology for flight or to be in the sky is not going to be at the very least super prevalent. So having this type of thing uh, could be a very interesting landmark, a castle in the sky made completely out of clouds, but solid as, as stone mm -hmm. when you go visit it or, or whatever. And um, the dragon can also alter weather within a six mile radius of its lair. So you could have some really cool effects that, that happen during that there's there's a lot of really fun tools just even within the monster manual that you can play with exactly and the thing is is um another great thing about silver dragons from my perspective at least is that because of kind of how loose they are with some of their rules and how they live and everything you can pretty much insert them almost anywhere that you want you know the fact that oh they live in clouds great um, they could live on secluded mountain peaks somewhere close or like ancient ruins, um, anything like that. You can twist and turn and and make their layer wherever you need to at the time. I mean, the fact that, you know, they can have a cloud castle that I'm assuming it's a cloud. It can move if they so choose. You can put them anywhere you want. I love this. It, it's just it, it's giving oh, yeah. you so many different options and the ability to really just just mold it and shape it and do what you need with it. Like when I was researching these uh, silver dragons and everything, I'm just like, OK, cool. Uh, in my campaign, I've got the perfect idea on how this is set out. And it just, you know, just boom, clicked as in great. I can do this, this, this and this. And all of it falls into that sort of category. And I'm pretty excited for the fact that I finally got to introduce uh, one to my party and the fact that they're going to meet up with her again because they, they have a mission from her. So, yeah. So I'm just, excited. just as an, just as an example for, for those uh, DMS who want to potentially introduce, what did you, what did you do for yours? Uh, can you kind of give us a little bit of, uh, how you played it, how you introduced it, why, why you picked it that type of thing. Yeah. So, um, originally what was happening is, uh, the whole idea behind her is that she was protecting a town from orcs that would like invade. Um, so, you know, stopping them from hurting the townspeople, uh, and Did the townspeople know they had a dragon. in their They base? knew there was a dragon around, but they had no idea that the person living there was one. Mm. In fact, they still don't know because my party hasn't made it back to that town yet. So who knows if they'll tell them or not. Um, so with that happening, something else started happening. I, I kind of talked about it last time, how there's this, this evil wizard who was like kidnapping people and using them to, you know, do experiments and stuff. And so, She's like, well, crap, people in this town are being hurt. What's going on? So she went to go see what was happening with that. And then uh, long story short, that's how my party came across her. She was uh, about to do battle with the wizard. And it was one of those things where, okay, let's see which side the, the party is going to go with. Are they going to be all dragon and attack it? Or are they going to go for the wizard? And of course, I had enough breadcrumbs to say hey the wizard's a bad thing dragon's a good thing and luckily they paid attention and uh kind of jumped in with that fight worked on it that worked with the dragon uh ended up killing the wizard and then talked with the dragon for a bit kind of saying you know giving a little bit of backstory about 
I'm, I'm there to save the town and everything. Like I, I had her transform into her half elf form or half elf halfling form to talk to them. And then when she left, turned back and then flew away. And she was talking about, you know, protection and everything like that. Um, saw that, you know, she's been around for a while, saw that there was a much bigger threat said, Hey, could you, uh, you know, go into this mage tower and, or wizard's tower or whatever you want to call it and get information that I need. And then meet me at the big city. My order is there. So already she's part of an order. Are they more dragons? Are they more people? Who knows what's going to happen with that? I'm, I like the idea of an order dragons. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens when the, my people get there. I know what it is, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's fun. No, I, I like it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a little little about Silver Dragons. Yeah, and, um, and even more so, one thing that I wanted to make sure of is that Silver Dragons would hang out with other Silver Dragons if I was going to have more of them around, because a lot of dragons are kind of solitary. And luckily, Silver Dragons are friends with other Silver Dragons. So, yay. They're just friendly. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're, they're just like... Uh, like uh if you want to want to go with the college metaphor they're the they're the party guy yeah yeah but but not like the the arrogant like dude party guy they're the one that can move in and out of every single yeah. type of click and it's more like everybody's the dude. cool dude <laughs> yep yeah silver dragons they're pretty dragons. cool they are uh so yeah, if you've got uh, if you got any dragon stories, or if you you as a DM use dragons in your campaign, or you as a player have experienced uh, non like battle to the death for for the treasure dragons in in your campaigns, let us know about it. We'd love to uh, hear about the more social situations or a dragon ally or those types of things. Those always make for for really fun stories. Mm-hmm. So. Let us know. All right. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk uh, on the player side a little bit about tieflings. Yes. So tieflings are a race just in the, the, the standard rules. Um, they are a <sighs> infernal bloodline mixed with humanoid, mm-hmm. essentially. Um where that infernal bloodline came from uh, is anyone's guess. There could be uh, multiple different ways or reasons, but regardless of the how, what it ends up in, with is a humanoid type figure, sometimes tail, sometimes horns, sometimes, you know, uh, various shades of skin color um, and usually some sort of, fiendish slash demonic type powers or abilities that they have inherited from their bloodline. Mm-hmm. And they make very, very interesting characters because even the, the official description kind of lists them as these are normally uh, kind of feared by normal people. Uh, they're, they're kind of a, kind of a minority in a lot of ways. Um, and they are not, super quick to trust people. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when a lot of people see a tiefling, they automatically don't trust them. They think that they are just completely innately evil because of their demonic heritage, which is not exactly true. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people out there who are like, Ooh, tiefling, I'm going to be a bad guy or I'm going to do this and, you know, go chaotic and, and evil and everything. And, you don't really need to, to, to follow that sort of stereotype because the tieflings are definitely not like that. They're, they have just as much of a range in good and evil as humans or any of the other races do. And the fact that there aren't a whole ton of them around adds to that sort of distrust of them, which can be a lot of fun to kind of play around in. Yeah, it really can. There's, and there's, uh, I would say a tiefling is probably a more, depending of course on the campaign world, um, 
there's there's a lot of varieties and you know you might be playing in a campaign where tieflings are far more common mm -hmm. but um i would say they're probably a a more of a role play challenge than your typical say human mm -hmm. um especially depending on the campaign you can do a, a lot of really interesting things or potentially get into a lot of interesting social situations with a tiefling that you might not before if you wander into a farming village you know with with horns and a tail what are what are the people going to think <laughs> exactly. you know how how are you how are you going to deal with that um are you someone who is extremely proud of their heritage and walks around and and flaunts it and is you know proud of who they are someone who is uh trying to come to terms with your infernal heritage you hide under a hood or you know try your very meek personality and so there's a lot of really interesting cool ways you could take it from a character and and role play perspective exactly and i mean just your backstory alone too of uh, you know, if you know where your kind of demonic heritage came from, whether it was, you know, let's say your father tricked your mother or vice versa. Um, maybe it's just kind of, you know, in the genes, it's recessive and skips like every five generations or something. Um, you know, were you or was something like this planned where you brought into the world to be a tiefling? They knew that something was going to happen. There's rituals involved or something. I mean, um, there, there's so much to kind of play with just from player create or character creation alone. And then moving into that sort of world, um, definitely talk to your DM about this of, you know, how, what's the world going, going to, or how, how's the world going to look at you? You know, are they going to be automatically scared? Is this something that, um, you know, the DM might really lean hard into uh, Are tieflings like against the law. Are they hunted or something? Uh, because they're not, as you know, uh, much of a, a, a race that conforms to the norm, there's a lot going on with that and definitely working with your DM helps out with that. But Ryan, like you were saying, it gives you a lot to, or like some different challenges and, and stuff RP wise on what you can do. Well, and, and not only that, one of the, one of the coolest things you can do, especially from a backstory perspective, when you talked with working with the DM, uh, there's a lot of potential like heritage, uh, type things you can do. Maybe run into, uh, your devil father mm -hmm. later in the campaign, who's a very powerful general of hell. How does that shake things up in the story? <laughs> like, uh, what are the what are the possibilities there? Uh, is there all of a sudden uh, moral quandaries or conundrums that you're you're having to decide between one thing or another or supporting one thing or another just because of, of your heritage? So it can be a very very rich backstory type thing for you and your your DM to either collaborate on or for your DM to mine just uh from that that could affect not only you but the the rest of your party and potentially even turn into like a whole campaign mm -hmm. i just realized something that could be really fun too is uh what if you're a warlock and your your patron is demonic and that's where you got your bloodline from yeah oh yeah there's a lot of uh, really cool things you could do with that mm -hmm. uh sorcerer is another really good one um I mean, there, there's so much innately magical about tieflings as well that there's a lot that you can play around with in that perspective. Yeah. Um, and not only that, just from a game perspective, just from a, a fifth edition perspective, tieflings get a lot of really uh, interesting things. Uh, you, get, you get your dark vision, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, super handy to have just in general uh while while playing D&D and then you also have something called uh an infernal legacy and all the sub races of tieflings that you can pick from have a different type of legacy of some sort and so there's a lot of really cool things you can kind of even even just in picking your your like sub race mm -hmm. 
um, gets get out of there between uh, there's there's different tiefling sub races that have you know different ability score modifiers and improvements uh which you know some people do like to look and min max that type of thing but they also have different legacies that allow you to learn different types of spells or um just uh cast different sorts of things depending on the i guess type of devil or type of uh you know fiendish heritage that you have and Mm -hmm. so if you're looking to go a certain way with your story you can kind of look into that as well with the tiefling sub races and uh find someone who you think connects really well with the story you're trying to tell exactly and it's funny because like those little uh differences in in the spells that you get based on you know your sub race they can really change how your character plays out in the world i mean it's is something as as simple as Okay, well, at third level, I can cast Ray of Sickness as a Legacy of uh, Maladomini. Or if I'm from the Legacy of Dis, I can cast Disguise Self instead. Those are two entirely different types of play styles. Yeah, it's not that just one damage spell for another. Exactly. Charm Person is for uh, Phlegathos, which I don't know how I'm able to pronounce these demon names super fast for some reason today. But, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of different random stuff like, uh, Mineros, you get mage hand and like at level three tensors floating disc. No one ever casts that. You have it innately. It's cool. You can carry stuff around on it. I mean, there, there's so many different ways that, uh, that tieflings are split out compared to uh, a lot of the different races like, uh, elves. There's, you know, just a couple different types of elves. There's like what, two or three different types of dwarves. Meanwhile, there's like 87 different types of tieflings and they all have something entirely different for whatever their ability increases are and the the sort of uh, innate magic that you get. And it's pretty fantastic that there are so many. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, just really good and interesting from from the bat, just from level one, if if that's where you're starting, Mm -hmm. starting from uh, things you can do with tieflings. So uh, if you're looking to create uh, a little more of a unique character a character that is outside the norms of your typical you know human dwarf elf type uh fantasy race it's uh it's a very uh cool and interesting choice that from at least a fifth edition standpoint gives you a lot of different variety in how you want to build even even from level one exactly and uh they come in all different uh types of colors too so you know have fun yeah, there's <laughs> going to be red. You want to be blue. You want to be purple. I mean, uh, yeah, yellow. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Come up with a reason for any color. It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's a lot of different devils. Exactly. A lot of different colors. <laughs> <laughs> Quite true. We definitely don't know from experience. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's just uh, a little, little on tieflings. Um, mm-hmm. hopefully, we've sparked some ideas. Maybe, maybe you'll use that for your next. Have year. you ever played a tiefling? I have not personally. Um, it's it's on my list. I have a, I have a character built, who is a tiefling, but okay. I have not gotten the chance to actually play them yet. Yeah, uh, last year. Uh, for my birthday, Nevermore actually threw a one shot and I was a, a tiefling bard and I had a blast. It is, it, it's a really fun race to kind of play around with and everything. Like I, I had so much fun with him that I really wish I I was able to bring him into an actual campaign. And I think that it would have had, uh, he would have been a lot of fun to really, you know, go at it and, and see him grow and develop and everything. Well, and I mean, dm tip if you have characters that you've played that you really like throw them in your campaign oh there's no way i can bring him in the campaign he is he's he's definitely out there for his own reasons he's he's on a mission of revenge ah yes some some characters just just won't fit (laughs) but like the uh the archmage of my main city is actually based off of my very first wizard character oh cool yeah same same name personality uh and uh pet 
that he the familiar he uh why why can i not trust him trust him it's a wing cat oh very cool yeah so uh so i i really i kind of uh, the the campaign with him uh ended and so and i really really liked him a lot and so now he is a part of my world as an npc very so cool. you can you can do a lot with that with retired characters or characters you really liked campaign might have gotten cut short or something like that mm-hmm. uh you always have the option of working them into uh, a campaign you're running oh definitely just as like a side thing or as as even like uh large-scale npcs it it's a really fun little flavor thing uh at least for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the best part about it is, is you know all about that character already. So yeah, it makes it much easier to role play. Mm-hmm. I mean, what better person or how how much easier it is to role play someone you've role played as a character. Yep. One or more times before. It helps quite so, yeah. a bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Just a just a little thing like. It's not always appropriate, but there are, there are definitely times when it can be a lot of fun. It can really, uh, really give, I guess, a good nostalgia and a nice pre-made, fully fleshed out NPC that you can just jump back into. Man, he's level six. I could have brought him into. Uh, I could have brought him into plus five to hit. Now that I look at it. <laughs> That's fine. We have a bard and uh, he's rather good. So, well, thank you. I enjoy my monk anyway. Yeah, your monk is fun. <laughs> um, so, moving on a little bit to our community content shout out. Mm-hmm. This is one, uh, and I, I wish I could have done this a little earlier. We're recording a little late. Life, life happens. It's, it's one of those things. Um, a little while ago, I, I may have mentioned it on the show. There was a book by Jetpack 7, I believe, and uh, called Legendary Dragons. And in it were like 20-some uh, fully fleshed out, fully storied, uh, fairly high CR uh, legendary dragons of different styles and looks and abilities and all sorts of really really cool stuff uh it's it's actually an incredible book if you're looking for some really unique dragons for your campaign uh that go beyond just the you know regular chromatics or metallics Mm -hmm. well from that uh it was a very successful campaign sold a lot and uh, and we've talked a little bit about 3D printing and miniatures and stuff like that on this show before. Um, but uh, Layer 3D, a part of uh, a subsidiary printing uh, modeling type company, is working with that publisher. And they are creating models for 3D printing of all these legendary dragons oh nice so that you can actually get the book use the stuff and then place the model out there if that's if that's your cup of tea for uh and you have your own 3d printer you can do some some really cool stuff and they unlocked every single dragon that is in the legendary dragons book that now great they haven't opened up their late pledges yet, but we'll have a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes if you want to go and get signed up for when they make late pledges available. The, it's, the, the, the cool thing about 3D printing is once you get the printer, the, the actual cost is, is incredibly cheap because they pay someone to make a model and then they can basically sell that model infinitely. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's a very it's a very low cost of dis- distribution. So you get even though you have to print it yourself, you get a lot of the savings uh, versus a model of that scale and size in like a resin cast or something might be 50, 75, 100 dollars for one of them. They were able to get it 31 models for their base level of twenty five dollars. Nice. Like that's 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 the the super cool stuff about 3D printing. Um, and and I'm a huge fan. And the whole 3D printing system is 
more affordable than ever now if you if you haven't looked into it um but if you love D&D and you love doing models and stuff there's tons of free resources for D&D specifically if you have a 3D printer and want to do that but I wanted to throw that out there um not only the legendary dragons book but also this current kickstarter that you can sign up for for the late pledges um that'll happen probably in the next few weeks if you have that a printer and want to get some really cool dragon models for your campaign yeah i am like i'm tempted to do this even though i don't have a 3d printer just so that i have it available for when i do get one because looking at a lot of those pictures and just how intricate the the modeling is and everything uh, they look amazing so i yeah, definitely check out that link if it's something that you're interested in or if you're like me and eventually we'll get a 3D printer and you're looking at, uh, you know, making some really, really cool looking dragons. Check it out. I'm going to I swear that as soon as those get delivered, I'm going to start running out of shelf space. Yeah, I I, I don't blame you. <laughs> and what's I'm great is to just print them all out. Yeah, I'm just you're gonna have new shelves behind you uh, whenever you record. You're gonna put uh, take down the Vox Machina poster, put up shelving. It's gonna be dragons just all behind just all you. Dragons. Yeah, yep, I know. Just you're, all dragons. You're gonna form them into an intricate throne and just sit on dragons all day. Ah, oh, that'd be cool. That actually would be cool. Okay, we It'll need to work on that while. pattern. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, Let's get on that. Um. So uh, everyone who's who's hearing this knows and has probably been affected by quarantine life mm-hmm. in some way or another. Um, one of the positive impacts of that, and I think we kind of mentioned this uh, last episode, is that we've had more time for D&D. Yes. It turns out when no one, when everything gets canceled, people have free time. And thankfully, my groups have been using that some of that free time for for D&D. And I know, Ben, your group has been doing that as well in a wonderful, socially distanced age of the Internet. Uh, We've been using Discord for ours, and uh, it's worked out great. I've reverted completely back to using Theater of the Mind, and I've loved each and every second of it. Uh, so much so that I'll probably still run half and half with that with battle maps, even when we start being able to meet in person again, just because I love, absolutely love the creativity that it opens up for my players that may not happen on a two dimensional space. Yeah. That's, that's laid out either in a picture or in a battle map in person laid out in front of you unless for some reason i have time to make an incredibly intricate 3d scene which happens sometimes but not often um (laughs) so ben what are what are you what have you been up to with with your game and your party as you've gotten to play a little bit more well first of all we've been playing over discord before it was cool or well necessary but uh, that's what happens when you play with people from different states so it's it's kind of the norm for us, except, uh, again, you know, we've been playing a lot more and everything. And uh, how I was talking a, a little bit before about the Mage Tower. Well, guess what? Party went through, ended up as on a cliffhanger, went through a portal. And then uh, the newest uh, session that we had, they fell out of that portal into a big field with like a well and a statue and some pillars going up into the sky, where if you look up, you can actually see the top of a room and uh, there was a big pile of like just kind of junk of like, you know, copper, silver, metal pieces just kind of lying uh, in front of what could possibly be, you know, it, it looks like another place where there would be a portal, but there was no portal there. So they got near it and it, the pile started moving and boom, they got to fight a clockwork dragon. Ah, another kind of cool dragon. Oh, yeah. I And I got to say, I had a lot of fun in that fight. Um, I, so the, the, the base clockwork dragon that I found, um, I, I actually did a homebrew version that I found on, uh, D and D beyond, but I tweaked it and changed it a bit and everything, um, gave it a couple legendary actions as well, just because, um, you know, based on the, the CR of it and everything, I'm like, okay, well, my people need a little bit more of a challenge because I've been, you know, for the most part, throwing easy stuff at them. 
And, and it's a clockwork dragon. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, just the image, the very image of that is just like, it's dragon, but it's made out of like all these gears and, and mechanical mm-hmm. parts. And it's terrifying. Yeah. And so I got to have uh, some fun with some legendary actions. I I, I still kind of uh, like I didn't go all out dragon on them because one, I'm still getting used to being able to do legendary actions and stuff. This is really the first, you know, uh, creature that I've had with them. Uh, but even more so, um, I-, I wanted to make it difficult and not just instantly TPK. So, you know, kind of watched what I was doing with it and everything like that. Um, and, you know, they they got some pretty good looks in there. I got some insanely good looks in there. Uh, it, it got to the point where, uh, I mean, I was almost consistently hitting whoever I was attacking and I mean, it's a dragon, so it's doing, uh, you know, a bite and two claw attacks per turn. And I mean, it was a challenge for my people, which is something that I really want to give. Like that's the hardest thing that I find is uh, combat tuning and you can go off of numbers and everything all you want, but once you start taking into abilities, how familiar people are with their characters and things like that. I find that it skews on the easy side of things. So I made it a difficult challenge and they rose up to it and defeated it. And I am so proud of my players. They did awesome. And then one of the best things that's ever happened, happened some awesome RP after that. It was amazing. So Ah, good stuff because this is the first real time that some of them have like taken a, a a buttload of damage, much, much less any damage. Um, you know, it was actually getting late in the night in game. So they ended up, um, our bard, uh, cast tiny hut. They, they took a long rest in there, you know, for, for the night and everything. In the morning, the cleric who, I mean, he got walloped on pretty bad by that dragon. He was getting like really anxious, not wanting to go deeper into the, the, the tower. And so they had a nice long talk about it and and he had like a struggle of faith and everything. And it was just amazing. Like the fact that my party is able to you know, role play and do that stuff together. It, it makes me proud. But the fact that it was after a really challenging fight and he's really getting into character and thinking about these things and stuff. And finally, like they didn't like drag him kicking and screaming into the next portal. But I mean, there was a talk and he had some compelling arguments for, Hey, we've gone as far as we need. The rest of the group was like, but there's still more. We need more information. And, you know, we're, we're on this quest by the silver dragon to, to get as much info as we can. And I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. And some of the, the best gameplay that we've had so far. And I am just so excited for Saturday when we play again. Oh, that's awesome. That's super exciting. Uh, as a, as a DM in those moments, do you do in the back of your mind think, Oh no, they're not going to go through all the rest of the stuff that I made in this really cool place. Oh, not at all. Because if they don't, that's completely affecting and changing things that are going to happen in the knowledge that they would have. And even more so if they do leave, it's like, Oh, there's a threat out there that who knows if they're going to go back for or not, but they have no idea what they're changing, you know, in my mind of how things are going to be going about with this. Like if they hadn't gone or if they had ended up going back, it drastically changes some stuff. So I'm like, Oh, if they do this, it's going to be insane. Mm, yep. That's, uh, that's the best possible outcome yeah. of those type of things. And I don't mean, never treat those situations as a loss. Treat them as something that can spawn more story. Exactly. And see, that's one of the best things about it is, is that, you know, when you're able to, you know, look at everything in a positive light like that of, you know, oh, well, whatever happens, it's going to change stuff. This is going to be neat. Um, you're just sitting there watching, excited for whatever the outcome is. And if they had all just turned back, I'm like, oh, yeah. But the fact that they're going forward, I'm like, oh, because I know what's up ahead. And that's really cool, too. So, yeah, I'm just I'm super excited. And like I said before, I'm I'm just so proud of my party. They're doing such a great job. And, you know, they're enjoying the story and everybody's having a blast with it all. And it's just 
it's going really great. Like I, I, I'm very proud of my group. Like just so proud. That's, that's really good to hear. And I, and my side of things is me being extremely proud of my group as well. We are, we are at a climax right now and we, we, uh, they, they finished, uh, off. They went back for, (laughs) they sillily went back for the rumbling in the, the empty room and ended up fighting a, a purple worm, <laughs> which was, which was fun. But because my barbarian is uh, ancestral, ancestral path, mm-hmm. it, that my group, because of him, my group is extremely efficient and strong versus single large enemies. Yeah. Because he's he's got the 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 trait of that is basically if he hits with a melee attack for that round on on the creature, then any anything the creature does that is an attack roll of any sort is halved damage on anybody but him. Oh wow, it's it's absolutely insane. And so my my group is is like single large things that would normally be really scary for a group are not super scary against my group just be because of, of that trait um but it, it it's interesting and i'm you know i'm gonna let them have it and it's yeah <laughs> and it's just it's, it's something i'm gonna have to deal with um but they they were able to dispatch that pretty quick and then they ended up going down and they finally found the source of the giant invasion this huge teleportation circle uh in this in this giant chamber they were able to sneak sneak into essentially and they discovered that um the the main dragonborn dude who's been kind of harrying them this whole time and that they fought uh in in the warehouse uh, what feels like a a long time ago now is building this giant mana bomb under the city to just blow it up and so they found the the bomb is is half built. They've got a bunch of dwarves that they captured for for slave labor, and so and they were able to get to the other side of a room that uh, had a large lake of lava. Just through some pretty crazy stuff. I have a monk who has a ring of jumping and step of the wind, and I don't know if it's legit or not. But one of them is an action and one of them is a bonus action, Mm -hmm. which theoretically gives my monk 92 feet of jumping distance. Oh, wow. After after a 10 foot run. And so we, we, we talked it through. We did all the math and I was just like, you know, that's super creative. Yes. Yes, we'll do that. So he gets to the other side of this huge 60 foot chasm brings over their immovable rod which has been mvp for them in so many situations (laughs) um gets the rope they are able to sneak across without anyone noticing because it's it's high in the air uh they and then they get into this giant room with this large fire giant dreadnought this large floating fire giant that appears to be some sort of you know uh leader or caster or something like that and then the the harbinger himself along with his um right right hand woman essentially this green dragonborn who's who goes around with him and so now they are in this giant room just them and these four things these captured dwarves these two hill giants that are also working on uh moving materials for this bomb and just basically that's where we ended off. Oh man. Cause I was like, guys, it's, it's midnight. We can start this, but I don't know if we want to, because this could potentially take a while, depending on what happens. This is, this is, uh, this is basically the culmination of an arc that they've been working for, for months and months and months. Um, and so now they have until next Friday, so they're, they've been talking back and forth and starting to try and plan some things, figure out what they should do. Cause I tried to set up the situation as dynamic as possible. 
Like, do you free free the dwarves, try and get them to help out? Uh, are we going to use the river of lava for something? Who do we target first? Do we try and take out this giant teleportation circle uh, so that reinforcements might not be able to come? There's just massive amount of dynamite. It's, it's going to be an incredibly hard fight. It's going to be the biggest fight I've ever run theater of the mind. Um, and like, you can tell they're excited because they've been talking about it nonstop. Nice. And it, they, and it's, it, it's, it's very fulfilling for me as a dungeon master to, to see that type of thing because it is, they, they hit level nine right at the end of that fight they they've been through the whole dwarven dwarven tomb they'd done a bunch of stuff they were prepping and planning so i was like this the the moment is right for for the level up right before this this giant culmination of things um and then then truth be told they probably will need (laughs) probably will need it (laughs) a little bit um it's going to be incredibly challenging and this is i think this is there's there's been one or two times that have have been pretty scary for characters Mm -hmm. um they've they've generally done fairly well but there there is this is probably and i you kind of get this the sense even from the players this is a time where potentially some of them could die yeah and so it's uh it's very very tense it's going to be a very high energy very tense session um I'm already just like looking at my Fitbit and my heart is beating faster. <laughs> just, just thinking and talking about it. Cause it's, it's, it's going to be a big deal. The stakes are incredibly high, not only for their party, but just for the city in general, depending on what happens, you know, if God forbid the party wipes, they all die. Mm-hmm. Potentially new characters get rolled uh and those characters will potentially find out the the fate of what happened yeah yeah (laughs) and so there's just there's a lot to or or even if only one or two characters die that's a big deal that's a really big deal and our cleric only has one diamond for a vivify and so it's uh it's a big deal there's there's gonna be a lot of a lot of craziness it's gonna be very hard uh and gonna have to use a lot of strategy because these are smart enemies and i'm actually really excited about it because i don't get to play super smart strategic enemies that often yeah so it's i as the dungeon master am rooting for my players unfortunately the enemies are not (laughs) well and see that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize when they run some of these things well okay by a lot of people I'm talking about the ones that you hear in like Dungeons and Dragons horror stories. Basically the, the DM should be cheering for the players and that's the absolute right idea behind it. You know, you want them to succeed, but at the same time, you're not going to make it super easy for them. No, this is, this is a big deal. It's not, it's not going to be a cakewalk and, and I'm going to play those characters, how they, how they are and so it's it's going to be tough this is this is a this is a big bad essentially and he's got some really strong minions with him so well i'm really looking to uh, forward to hearing how that's going to play out <laughs> that's uh that's going to be a doozy yep it is is going to be a big big one so i'm excited it'll be it'll be a lot of fun like i I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, uh, which makes it that much more fun. Oh, but yeah. I, I expect that the large majority of our four or five hours that we usually run is going to be encounter based. So very cool. So hopefully I'm hoping I can run it well and sprinkle in the RP throughout. Oh, yeah, you got this. it's gonna be it's gonna be good but uh until then that's it for our show tonight it is thank you guys so much for listening uh and before we go ben why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached of course well uh see the funny thing about this show is that uh we've had more than just this episode 
And if you haven't heard any of them or want to go back and listen to, uh, you know, some previous ones that you've heard before, go ahead and check us out on dndiscussions.com. It's where you can find every single episode, as well as on iTunes, Google, Spotify, you know, all that fun stuff. You can find us everywhere because you should be able to. Um, If you're looking to, you know, ask us any questions or want to tell us some of your stories, you can always email us. Send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. We love listener feedback. We would love to hear your stories because, I mean, everybody wants to talk D&D. That's kind of why we do this show. Uh, But if you have something, you know, that you want a a quick answer to or a short form question or anything, you can tweet us directly. Uh, Send those to at dndiscussions. That's how you can find us on Twitter. Now, Ryan, if someone's looking for you... Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZor. All right. And if you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. And if you're uh, listening to the show and you're like, oh, man, these guys can talk. Wow. Or wow. Sorry, that's a different show I do. <laughs> these guys can talk Dungeons and Dragons, but I bet they don't actually play. You would be wrong. You can listen to our show plus five to hit where uh, we both respectively play some, uh, if, if I do say so myself, some pretty fun, cool characters. It's, it's a fun show. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. Uh, but until uh, next time, until next episode, we will see you guys later. Take care. Stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>